Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back. Here we are. It's Friday night, <clears throat> excuse me, 9 June. And this is episode 131. And we got one, two, three, eight stories. First one will be Ukraine. Uh, a couple, one from Norway, one from Sweden, stuff from the Pacific, and kind of a budget thing. Or, yeah, I got considered a budget thing. So we'll get started with Ukraine first. This is from 9 June from DOD release. Biden administration announces additional security assistance for Ukraine. Today, the Department of Defense announced a new security assistance package. Uh, this package is worth $2.1 billion, very expensive, $2.1 billion, and includes critical air defense and ammunition capabilities. It's provided under Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. And since February 24 of 22, well over a year ago, uh, $39.7 billion. So this $2 billion is included in the um, $39.7 billion. So what's in it? Uh, capabilities in this announce, announcement include additional munitions for Patriot air defense systems, Hawk air defense systems and missiles, 105 and 203 millimeter artillery rounds, Puma unmanned aerial systems, laser guided rocket system munitions, support for training, maintenance, and sustainment activities. Really don't know what to take away from any of that. Uh, Puma unmanned aerial systems may be spotting. And then laser-guided rocket systems and the artillery stuff. And then, of course, air defense. There's always a healthy dose of air defense in these packages, it seems like. So that's the latest, 9 June, uh, $2.1 billion. Next, we'll go to Defense Post. This is from the staff, 9 June. Norway says sale of F-16 jets to Romania is complete. <clears throat> Norway said on Thursday, which was yesterday... It completed a sale of 32 F-16 fighter jets to fellow NATO member Romania after getting the green light from U.S. authorities. Romania signed a contract with Norway in November to buy used F-16s for $418 million. Uh, there's always a quote from a defense minister, and, and this one's from Norwegian defense minister. This sale will strengthen and modernize the defense of an allied nation that has Ukraine as a neighbor. The Norwegian aircraft will be serviced before they are delivered to Bucharest. In May, Norway's Prime Minister ruled out the idea of going back on the contract and delivering the aircraft to Ukraine. With 32 aircraft and 17 bought from Portugal, Romania is modernizing its air force, replacing obsolete Soviet MiG-21 fighters. Norway is upgrading its own air force. Oslo pl plans on buying 52 more modern Lockheed Martin F-35s, and Norway is taking the last of its F-16 fighters out of active service. Uh, they did so last year, 2022. In theory, the Scandinavian country still has some jets that could be delivered to Ukraine. Um, 
if it decides to join the coalition of Western nations that have announced their willingness to provide the war-torn country with F-16s. I'm sorry. I was reading something else. Uh, the Norwegian government says it is also considering ways to help train Ukrainian personnel to use F-16s, but has not decided whether to fly Kiev with the aircraft. Uh, that's end of story. So that's Norway. Next is Sweden. Again from the Defense Post, from the staff, 9 June. Sweden ready to host NATO troops even before joining. Sweden, whose NATO membership is currently blocked, is ready to welcome temporary NATO bases on its soil even before it's a full member. And that's from Prime Minister Christensen said on Friday, today. <clears throat> uh, quote from him, The government has decided that the military can undertake preparations with NATO and NATO, mem NATO member states to enable future joint operations. Those preparations could include temporary stationing of foreign materiel with an E and personnel on Swedish soil. NATO has been a NATO, uh, Sweden has been a NATO invitee since June of 22, but its bid, which must be ratified by all 31 member states, has been blocked by Turkey and Hungary. Turkey's president, uh, Erdogan, has not provided any indication since his re-election in late May about whether he plans to approve Sweden's NATO bid. Western nations and the United States in particular have been pushing Ankara to give a green light, insisting that Sweden has met the terms of a deal agreed with Ankara last year. And that, in, that accord includes a commitment to crack down on opposition Kurdish movements, such as the Kurdish Workers' Party PKK, blacklisted by Ankara, which considers them a terrorist group. But Turkey has also demanded that Stockholm extradite dozens of activists living in Sweden that it labels as terrorists. But the Swedish government has insisted it cannot make that decision since the judiciary is independent. Uh, in addition to a bid to join NATO, Sweden has also hiked its military spending following the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And that's in the story. Should I go to the UK? Yeah, I'm going to go to the UK. I wasn't going to, but I'll, since I'm over in Europe, I might as well stay there. This is from USNI, where I get all, all my naval news. I've got a couple stories from those guys tonight. Uh, this is from Richard Scott. I don't think we've done a story from him before. 8 June, yesterday, UK considering adding catapults arresting gear to aircraft carriers. The UK Royal Navy is studying the introduction of aircraft launch and recovery systems aboard its two Queen Elizabeth-class aircraft carriers to open up the flight deck to a broader range of crewed and uncrewed air systems. I think you might start seeing that in the future. Instead of unmanned and manned, you might start seeing crewed and uncrewed. Speaking about a defense leaders combined naval event 2023 conference in Farnborough on 24 May, the UK Marine a UK Marine Colonel Phil Kelly, the head of Carrier Strike and Maritime Aviation with the Royal Navy's Development Directorate, outlined a plan to retrofit the arresting gear and assisted launch equipment as part of a broader future maritime air aviation force. And that future maritime aviation force means FMAF. The FMAF is a multi-strand program exploring the widespread fielding of uncrewed aviation across the surface fleet. Uh, in its current configuration, the Queen Elizabeth-class flight deck arrangement has a 12.5-degree ski ramp fitted forward in a vertical recovery deck 
offset to port. Uh, this has been shaped by operation of support of a single uh, single fixed wing aircraft type, uh, the F-35B Lightning II short takeoff vertical landing joint strike fighter. Of course, the B is the V is the VTOL model, right? Or I guess it's called VTOL. Uh, no assisted launch and arrested machinery is, is installed, according to Colonel Kerry, uh, Kelly. One strand of the FMAF. Known as Project Arc Royals, exploring options for the phased introduction of aircraft launch and recovery equipment to enable the operation of high-performance uncrewed strike and support systems and potentially fixed-wing crewed aircraft. This is where it gets kind of technical. So we are looking to move from STOVL to STOL, which means short takeoff and landing. And it gets a little more technical here. Then to STOB, STOBA. AR, STOBAR, which means short takeoff but arrested recovery, and then to CATOBAR, C-A-T-O-B-A-R, which means catapult-assisted takeoff but arrested recovery. We're looking at a demonstrable progression that spreads out the financial costs and incrementally improves capability, Kelly said. Uh, the first step would be to increase the available link for the unassisted launch of uncrewed air systems. So this November, they plan, the Brits, plan to launch a Mojave short takeoff and landing aircraft off the angle of a flight deck off the U.S. East Coast, Colonel Kelly said. This aircraft can take off in 300 feet of runways, so that's enough for the trial, but we've already taken design work to add sponsons and make a full run of 700 feet available. Uh, again, kind of technical article here. The next stage would be to introduce a recovery system into the Queen Elizabeth design. The large fixed-wing UAS envisioned under this program is a persistent capability known as Vixen and is expected to depend on some sort of arrested arrestment for recovery. And the final step would be add an assisted launch system. And, that would, and adding catapults would allow us, Kelly said, to operate the heaviest aircraft you can imagine. Uh, almost done here. Kind of a technical article. Uh, USNI News understands that various assisted and launch recovery options have been viewed by Project Arc Royal. These include electromagnetic aircraft launch system and advanced arresting gear equipment delivered by General Atomics uh, for the U.S. Navy's Ford class aircraft carriers. Anyway, kind of a technical article there. I didn't, kind of tough for me to do that one. Uh, what's next? We'll go ahead and do our last def uh, Defense Post article. This is from Joe Sabala, 9 June uh, today. U.S., Japan, Taiwan agreed to share real-time drone intel. And this story we're doing now is it's all seen it's all tied together. This stuff is always linked. Last episode we did the uh, the Shangri-La dialogue where he had, I think it was uh, Singapore and, and China talking about airspace and right of passage and international maritime laws and all that stuff. How they're not thrilled with uh, the United States going through the Taiwan Straits and then China and Russia flying near Japan. It's all, anyway, more of the same. So here we go. U.S., Japan, Taiwan agree to share real-time drone intel. 
The U.S., Japan, and Taiwan have agreed to share real-time reconnaissance drone data to bolster military coordination, according to a report by the Financial Times. Citing four sources, the outlet explained that the initiative would help the island nation prepare for a potential Chinese invasion. Taipei is set to receive four MQ-9B Sea Guardian drones from General Atomics under a $600 million deal signed during the President Trump administration, former President Trump administration. Washington would, would reportedly allow the drones to integrate into the unmanned system U.S. and Japanese forces used to monitor Beijing. The report further states that integration would allow the United States and its partners to simultaneously observe and assess all information gathered by the reconnaissance platforms. China has ramped up military activities around Taiwan recently, including a simulation of precision strikes and an island blockade. Just this week, more than 30 Chinese warplanes entered Taiwan Air Defense Zone over six hours, causing the island nation to dispatch patrol planes, naval vessels, and missile systems. A senior military official claimed that the move to share drone intel among Washington, Tokyo, and Taipei is a big taboo, taboo that China might view as escalatory. China has warned against forming alliances in the Asia-Pacific, saying it would exaggerate confrontations and plunge the region into a whirlpool of disputes and conflicts. Chinese Foreign Defense Minister China's Foreign Ministry spokesperson has called on the United States and Japan to stop provoking tensions that impact stability around the Taiwan Strait. And then we go from that story to another USNI story. Uh, where is it at? Russia Chinese bombers make second round of flights near Japan and Korea. This is from 9 June. Uh, USNI. Uh, Zerhan Mazadar. He does all these uh, really good stories about uh, Russia, really the Indo-Pacific. He's particularly Taiwan and Japan and Korea, actually. So here we go. Russia and Chinese bombers continue to fly missions around Japan and South Korea this week after an initial joint bomber mission on Monday, according to Japanese and Russian defense ministries. On Wednesday afternoon, a couple days ago, two Chinese H-6 bombers and two Russian Tu-95 bombers flew from China and into the Pacific Ocean, according to Japan's Joint Staff Office of, of the Ministry of Defense. Prior to flying through the Miyako Strait, four Chinese fighters joined the bombers. When the two Russian bombers flew to the Tushima Strait, two aircraft, presumed to be Chinese fire, uh, fighters, joined them, while seven other aircraft, also presumed to be Chinese fighters, were active over the East China Sea. During the flight over the Sea of Japan, to Russia, two Russian bombers were joined by two presumed Russian fighters, while another Russian aircraft had flown east over the Sea of Japan before turning northwest to the Russian continent. The JSO stated in that response it scrambled fighters from the Southwestern Air Defense Force of the Japan Air Defense Self-Defense Force and other commands. Russia's Ministry of Defense confirmed some details, saying Russia and China flew a joint eight-hour patrol over the Sea of Japan, the East China Sea, in the western part of the Pacific Ocean on Wednesday. During the joint air patrol, Russian aircraft landed and took off from an airfield in the People's Republic of China, the Russian Ministry of Defense said. For its part, China's Ministry of Defense issued a short one-line release on Wednesday that, that read, On 7 June, the Chinese and Russian militaries completed a second phase of the 6th Joint Air Strategic Cruise 
the Western Pacific airspace. Now, I mean, you just heard that what we talked about last episode. Now, so Japanese officials have spoken out against the flights with the Japanese chief cabinet secretary telling a media conference on Wednesday that the flights were not violating Japanese airspace, but they were a grave security concern for Japan as they appeared to be directed toward Japan. Tokyo lodges concern via diplomatic channels. So it's kind of a tit-for-tat scenario. I guess you'd call it competition, right? But anyway, more stuff going on in the Pacific. This is going to be a short episode. We're almost done. I mean, 16 minutes. Uh, next story. This is a good story from Azerbaijan. I think this is the first Azerbaijan story we've ever done. It's from Agnes Helu, 9 June. Azerbaijan is buying C-27 Spartans from Leonardo. Uh, Leonardo would not comment on the number of aircraft, but the overall price, the overall price of the deal or the timeline of the delivery to Azerbaijan. The Azerbaijan Air Force has signed a contract with Leonardo to procure an unknown number of C-27J Spartan multi-role military transport aircraft, the company announced on 8 June yesterday. According to the statement by the Italian firm, the contract was signed by Azerbaijan delegation in Italy in the presence of defense minister representatives from both countries. However, Leonardo would not comment on the number of aircraft, the overall price of the deal, or the timeline of delivery when asked by breaking defense. For, there's a quote from some analyst, Ryan Boll, Senior Middle East and North Africa Analyst at the RAIN Network, R-A-N-E. For Azerbaijan, a C-27J gives the Aziri Air Force new tactical operations for transport, logistics, and potentially, depending on the final version, ground support and electronic warfare options. The C-27Js will free up the Baku's uh, Il 76s and helicopter transport for other missions as well. Azerbaijan's Air Force relies heavily on helicopters, with 87 helicopters out of its 149 total aircraft. It operates two outdated Il 76 of Chinese origin for military transport. Uh, the C 27J Spartan can be used for different missions, including military transport, airdrop of paratroops. Materials, tactical troop support, and special forces operation. End of story. And we got one more story left. Uh, domestic story. 18 minutes. Man, what is a fast episode? This is from Breaking Defense. Ashley Roquet and Michael Marrow, or Michael Marrow and Ashley Roquet, from 9 June, 3.40 p.m., just a few hours ago. House Armed, uh, House Armed Service Committee Subcommittee, Mark, allows A-10 retirement, set provisions for NGAD, CCA, and FARA. We'll get to those in a minute. <clears throat> Excuse me. The House Armed Services Tactical Air and Land Forces Subcommittee has decided to greenlight continued divestment of the A-10 Warthog according to the draft text, according to a draft text of the subcommittee's markup for FY24 defense bill obtained by breaking defense. The permission to continue retiring A-10 aircraft builds off a momentum established last year where Congress relented after years of pleas from service officials to enable the move. <clears throat> As part of the FY24 budget request, the Air Force is seeking a total of 42 A-10 retirements, which the subcommittee mark appears to pave the way for. 
Specifically, the Air Force seeks to decrease the minimum primary mission aircraft inventory to 135 A-10s as part of a divestment strategy. The legislation required the Air Force to evaluate whether any aircraft retired in FY23 or beyond can be transferred to an ally or partner in the United States, which comes after some lawmakers have questioned whether they could be used in places like Ukraine. However, Ukraine reportedly doesn't want the jets, meaning the A-10s, for largely the same reasons the Air Force doesn't want them. They're old, they're slow, and limited to a single role, which officials argue renders them unfit for war with the peer adversary. Uh, like all provisions in the subcommittee marks, final plans could still change as the full committee takes up for a vote, which could be further changed as an agreement on the FY24 defense policy bills negotiated between the House and Senate. Appropriators will weigh in as well with their own defense budget bill, which could affect provisions established by the House and Senate authorizers. And then on to the uh, Air Force Navy here. So as the Air Force and Navy develop their own next-gen fighters and drones to fight alongside them, House authorizers, House authorizers are seeking to put in place some guardrails to ensure the costs don't creep up and programs stay on track. The subcommittee's mark includes that both Air Force and Navy secretaries would be required to submit annual reports on the development technological maturation of both services' next-generation air dominance fighters. So that's NGAD, next-generation air dominance fighter. The mark additionally includes a mandate that each service establish threshold and objective key performance parameters regarding flyway cost, I'm sorry, flyway unit cost, gross weapon system cost, unit cost, aircraft costs per tail per year, and aircraft per flight hour for their fighters. Let me read that again. <clears throat> the market additionally includes a mandate, a mandate now, that each service establish a threshold and objective key performance parameter regarding flyway cost, gross weapon system unit cost, aircraft cost per tail per year, and aircraft cost per flight hour for their fighters. Now, real quick, I'm not going to go crazy with this, but uh, when you have a requirements document, you have different, uh, they're called attributes, and there's one, two, three, there's four sets of them, right? In order, right? So you got, we'll say, one through four. One is something called uh, KPP. They just mentioned it, key performance parameter, right? Yep, threshold and objective key performance parameters. That's called a KPP. So that's like uh, that's like the highest. And then number two would be a key system attribute. And number three would be additional system attribute. And then the fourth one would be like an other system attribute. So number one, key performance parameter, KPP as it's called, that's, you can't break that. Once you write it down, it's sometimes it's called a system killer. I mean, if you don't meet it, then the, the system is going to be, the, the program will be killed because you can't meet it. So for Congress to say, hey, whoever writes a requirement for the next generation air dominance fighter, that you're going to have these KPPs, and they are, and they listed them right there for you. I mean, that's pretty heavy duty right there. And then you have threshold and objective. That's just a threshold is like the minimum. It must do this. And objective, it'd be nice to do that.
So the threshold is we want it to cost, you know, below five bucks. The objective is we want it to cost below one buck. We'll never get to the objective probably. Maybe we will, but but it's got to at least cost less than five bucks. I mean, that's just a, a weird example. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. Moving on. Uh, Air Force and Navy secretaries would also be required to submit a similar tech maturation report on the unmanned wingman program. As far as they're not calling the uncrewed wingman a program that the Air Force calls the Collaborative Combat Aircraft, CCA. While the Air Force is formally seeking to launch its CCA program in FY24, the Navy has also expressed interest in the capability. This is interesting right here, this next paragraph. Both service secretaries will be required to divvy up drones in three categories, which the subcommittee's mark describes as expendable, attritable, and exquisite. According to the definitions laid out by the subcommittee, expendable drones would not be expected to return from combat. Attritable drones are ones that would suffer an occasional loss, and exquisite drones would be expected to make it back each time. I thought that was very interesting. And here's even more interesting. They give money to it, uh, give money uh, prices. Uh, the two service secretaries would also be required to ensure the unit flyaway cost of each category would not exceed $3 million for expendable drones, $10 million for attritable drones, and $25 million for those deemed exquisite. Very interesting. Now we'll get to the Army. When it comes to Army programs, the subcommittee has both a few concern and asked for more information on big-ticket programs. One of the most mo notable provisions revolves around the Army's quest to decide what comes next for this main battle tank line. Uh, two choices, I guess. Either proceed with M1A2 SEP since, uh, System Enhancement Program Version 4, also known as SEP V4 Abrams, or abandon the tentative plan for a new tank. That was a either or, right? Uh, the better understand the situation, the subcommittee wants senior Army acquisition senior acquisition leaders to submit a report by the end of April 2024 with their plans to continually modernize and improve the current main battle tanks with capability upgrades, including but not limited to third-generation forward-looking infrared sites, the Trophy Active Protection System, and the 360 Situational Awareness System. The House Mark also directs the Comptroller General to craft a report on the Army's Air and Missile Defense Program detailing, detailing system technologies the service is seeking, address to what extent the service has applied leading practices for acquisitions in that arena, and how lessons learned from the war inside Ukraine have been factored in and more. Now this is the, check this one out, this is an interesting one. In addition to this pair of directives, the one I just mentioned, the subcommittee is calling on the Comptroller General to draft a separate report about the Army's long-range precision fires portfolio and asking for a copy of the analysis of alternatives for a future attack reconnaissance aircraft, also known as FARA, program, or the Army Secretary's travel budget will be frozen. Holy cow, they're playing hardball here. I'm going to read that again. So in addition to this pair of directions, the subcommittee is calling on the Comptroller General to draft a separate report about the service's long-range precision fires portfolio and asking for a copy of an analysis of alternatives for the FARA program or, or the Army Secretary's travel budget will be frozen. 
heavy. Such law, uh, some lawmakers have voiced concerns of fielding such a manned attack aircraft given commercial unmanned rotary wing capabilities, while others have raised concerns about abandoning the program now that Bell and Sikorsky have produced prototypes. And Bell has won the Flora deal, which we know we've talked about that at length. And here's Mr. Bush, who we like. For his part, Mr. Bush, Doug Bush, the head of Army Acquisition, told lawmakers in April that his team will be working on a far analysis of alternatives now. Uh, now that the service has decided not to follow rapid prototyping and fielding pathway for the remainder of the program. The Army Department of Defense has not decided what acquisition pathway FAR will follow. Uh, Bush told House lawmakers in April, once the decision was made to go back to a traditional program, the AOA is required to get through Milestone B. So, let's see here. Let's go back to that paragraph about the Army's Secretary of the Army's travel budget being frozen. So they want an analysis of alternative. That's an acquisition kind of a deal. Analysis of alternatives where you look at, to say you need a new pair of boots, right? You think the soldiers, their feet uh, keep getting blisters. They're going to be required to walk further in the next war, so we need a new pair of boots. So they do analysis of alternatives, and they look at all the boots you know, Timberlake and name a boot manufacturer that's out there. They they get a they put a, a study group together and then they go and they look at all the boots and they say this is what the boot is supposed to do, this is the task the boot is supposed to do. And we think these are the best boots on the market, you know. And if you want the most expensive one, here's the most expensive one. If you want the medium one, this is the medium one and then that's kind of an analysis of alternatives. Just a rough Rough description of one, right? So they want to do analysis of alternatives for this uh, FARA. I'm surprised they haven't done it already. And what else? So they got to do that or they're going to freeze the travel budget, I guess. And then, next, the service has not decided not to follow a rapid prototyping and fielding pathway for the remainder of the program. So FARA... Uh, Future Advanced Reconnaissance Aircraft. You know, you got Flora and Flora, right? Flora, they picked Bell. Flora is the next one coming up. Just so happens the same two are competing against each other. Well, I think Flora was a member of the CFTs, all these CFTs that the Army's got. They've been using this middle tier acquisition, which means they get it pretty quick. Uh, the requirement document's called an abbreviated, it's an abbreviated requirements document. Not so much T's and O's threshold and objective like we just talked about. It's a lot of uh, desired characteristics. Anyway, the Army has decided not to, even though this is a, a CFT, this is a, a big effort for the Army, uh, future vertical lift. For FARA, they've decided not to, to follow this middle-tier acquisition. They're going to follow the traditional one. And by following the traditional one, you know, they got to go through all the gates, and in other words, they're not in a hurry. They're not in a hurry with this one. So they're going to do the AOA, the analysis of alternatives. should be no problem for them. And Mr. Bush says once they get through uh, AOA, they should be milestone B. And I'm not going to go crazy. That's an acquisition term. There's three milestones, A, B, C. Uh, B is the middle one, of course. Uh, C, once you get to C, that means you're program a record. That means you're funded. That means you're building these things and you're going to field them. Once you get to C, that's like 
There's no really turning back once you get to C. So right now they think they're going to get into B, I guess, once the, the analysis of our turn is done. That's all JSIDs and acquisition nerd stuff. So maybe I explained it good. Maybe I didn't. Probably I didn't. But anyway, that's it. What are we doing on time? 31 minutes, 32 minutes. That's it. Quick episode. Got eight stories out of it. Pretty interesting stuff, though, especially this last story. Who wrote that? Ashley Roquet, of course, great writer, and Michael Morrow from uh, Breaking Defense is from 9 June today. Now, I cut it up. I use most of it. I, when I always go through these articles, I cut them up to try to make it flow a little better because, you know, me and my terrible speech. But I'm, I use most of this article. But if you want to read the article for yourself, uh, check it out on Breaking Defense, 9 June. That's it. Uh, episode 131 is in the books. Thank you very much for listening and good night.